Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer. Lee, I want to start off by introducing you to our Positive Coaching Alliance audience. Dr. Lee Hancock is a tenured professor in the Division of Kinesiology at Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. He's also a high-performance consultant for professional athletes, coaches at all levels, business and team leaders, students, parents, and organizations. Lee has a deep soccer coaching experience. He has an A license from the U.S. Soccer Federation and is coached at all levels from youth up to MLS. He's currently the Director of Player and Coach Development at the LA Galaxy South Bay. In addition, Lee works for the LA Galaxy on various special projects most recently developing a high school program for the LA Galaxy Academy student-athletes. Finally, Lee is a curriculum developer and an author. His most recent book, Coaching People in Sports, How to Develop Successful People and Exceptional Athletes, came out in 2015. Lee, thanks so much for joining the Positive Coaching Alliance audience and me today. Sure, Tina. How are you? I'm great. Um, I really enjoyed uh, reading Coaching People in Sports, and right at the beginning, you kick it off telling your readers that you started your first coaching gig when you were only 18, and I was hoping maybe we could kick off our talk today by you sharing with our audience uh, what that experience was like and having you reflect back on that very first coaching experience. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, that uh, that was a long time ago first, but um, what an experience. I mean, for me, and I talk about it in the book, but um, it was such a good learning experience as I reflect on it. You know, at, at, the, at the time, I remember, you know, entering into those practice sessions and thinking, gosh, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do stuff here, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I saw the other guy do um, when he was doing his two versus two exercises or, you know, whatever he's doing. But I, I, I couldn't quite get out of the player's you know, what that great coach that I saw do the exercise in the first place did. Um, and, and, and so that, that was always such a, you know, such an enjoyable time for me because of the amount of, of things that I think I learned by, you know, this sounds terrible, but, but not doing it right. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I reflect back, I was trying to do my best and I was working really hard and I was giving positive feedback, but there was so much more as, you know, again, I, I'm able to reflect now on, on what it is that makes that great coach. You know, when I was reading that, you you write about how important it is for coaches to have the right content. You know, so if they're coming to coach soccer, that they have the knowledge of the game and the the drills, and that that you have to have that in your toolkit. Um, but that effective coaches need so much more. And it it reminded me, you know, we're really lucky at Positive Coaching Alliance to have Phil Jackson as our national spokesperson. And we had we interviewed him at one point, and he said, you know, there were no camps when I was coming up as a coach. There were no camps for me on the art of coaching. And he's like, you could attend all these camps that would teach you the triangle offense or the box and one defense, and they were all strategy and skills and drills, but nothing about the art of, of coaching. And it really made me, when I was reading your book, I thought of that quote from Phil, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that, about the best coaches needing more than just the right content. Well, I, I, I do think it, you have to have content. I mean, and I, I allude to this in, in various um, analogies, but my big thing is, look, if, if you start with bad ingredients and you've got really no idea what, you know, what you're going to cook with, the likelihood is you're not going to end up with, with something, you know, tasty at the end. 
So, right. yes, you have to have good ingredients, good content, good, you know, good drills and exercises and all these types of things. But, you know, that, that, that statement about the art of coaching um, is such a great Phil Jacksonism, I suppose. And, and I yeah. agree with that. I mean, this notion of, of it's an art um, is, is right on target. And I don't think there are enough um, um, groups out there or, or ideas out there that move beyond just the X's and the O's. I mean, there's, there's so much access now to stuff on the web um, and, and things that are out there. And, and as I say to my students at, and in my classes at Cal State Dominguez Hills, I go, look, you know, um, there's, there's stuff that's out there. And, and it's, not, it's, not, it's not what you teach, but it's how you teach it. And, and mm. it's so critical to, to view, you know, what you're teaching in terms of how you're getting those things across. And so, and so that, that idea to me resonates. And, and looking at it purely from that initial lens of it's not what you teach, but it's how you teach it, you know, provides a context for that exercise that, that you're, you're trying to get across. Because, of course, it's not the exercise that you're trying to teach. It's the person and then it's the skills embedded in the exercise that you want those those kids to have. So one of the things you've gotten to do is get out and watch a lot of other coaches coach. You know, whether that's, as you were saying, there's, there's stuff available online, but I know you've gone out and you've watched coaches, not just soccer coaches, but coaches from lots of different sports. And I'm wondering if you could describe for us um, what do you think the good ones look like and what do you see, and, you know, whether it's basketball or soccer or hockey, um, what do those folks have in common? Yeah, I mean, I think um, look, there, there's an initial lens of they are they are for sure coaching the person. They're looking at that person and they're investing themselves into that person's development. Um, uh, yes, as an athlete, but most importantly as a person. And you can see it by the way in which they they carry themselves with those with those kids, and, and you can you can see the way in which they. They communicate and they and they talk with and they and they work with those kids. But for me, it comes down to to four things. Um, I think the the coach has to have a presence. You know, they have to have a way about them that says to the to the athlete, "Hey, you know, this is th- this is who I am, and these are the things that I'm doing." And and look, you can look at the greats out there. I mean, Phil Jackson being one of them. He showed up, and you know. Um, he was out there to develop you as as a great athlete, but also as a great person. And, and there was this, yep. this je ne sais quoi. There was this who he was um, as a as a person. And, and Alex Ferguson is another one in terms of soccer. But there are, there are yep. great examples with youth athletes, and you can see it in them. Um, and and they have this way about them. And you don't just again, as I reflect back to me being 18 as a coach, I didn't have that. You know, I was just a kid myself, and I was trying to to, to teach. So there is this way about them that has developed over time, and part of that in developing that is putting yourself out there. You know, in order to be a good coach, a good teacher, you have to teach, you have to coach. And, of course, that's, that's, that's what, what allows you the opportunity to get better in front of people and to develop that presence. Um, Lee, before so you I, get I on to the, the other – yeah, before you get on to the other elements, just how often around sort of that presence and the desire to develop not just a great athlete but a great person, how often or at what level would a coach actually explicitly voice that to his or her athletes that that is their goal versus just doing it? Like is there a level, I know with Phil Jackson, you know, he really put that out there, but um, does that, does that happen at the high school level or 
What do you think um, about how explicit that is from coaches to athletes? Gosh, that's a really that's a really good question. I mean, um, I suppose the easy answer would be when they can understand it. You know, when when this notion yeah. of of abstract thinking maybe comes into play. I mean, look, if you've got if you've got an eight year a nine year old and you say I'm gonna I'm gonna coach you as a person, the kid's gonna go, can't we just do some stuff and like can you give me a ball because I want to do some stuff. <laughs> Uh, you know, but the way we yep. teach that 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 little boy or little girl, then you know they get it from the way your behavior. You know, but but that's how kids learn yep. a lot is through behavior, um, right? And through watching others' behavior, right? They learn to imitate. They learn to see how you're being with them, and that they make you make them feel a certain way. At 11 or 12 or 13, you know, when this notion of abstract thought comes into play, and they can they can truly understand what you know when you say to them, "I'm coaching you as a person." Um, and, and it's so much more than just the exercises. I, I think that's a real important time in a child's life to understand that it's just so much more than, than sports. Can I, can I tell you a little quick story on this the other day with one of my sons? Please, please. Oh, so we're sitting in, in the car on the way to practice and, and, you know, the, the twins are in the back and the oldest in the, is in the front, and the twins are just along for the ride. And, of course, I, I hand them my phone back in the back to listen to the music on Bluetooth, and they can sing, and, you know, it's shenaniganry. Um, but, of course, the little boy's in the – my 11-year-old's in the front, and, and we've got um, – I've got a couple of books in the, in the, in the little glove compartment there. And he's, pull, and he's pulled them out, and I don't know why he chose to pull them out, but he was looking at them. And I said, well, what do you think – what do you think the, the covers mean? What do you think the titles mean? And I'm – I'm asking him, and I can see he's just turned 11 in October. I can see his wheels turning. And I go, what do you think the idea of coaching people is, and why do you think that there's a maze on the front, and why do you think that looks like a field, and is it about sports, or is it about what do you think it's about? And I said, well, and he starts to dialogue with me about, well, gosh, Dad, it's just so much more than sports, and 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 I see that you you know I I understand that you're coaching the person in the sport, and 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 the maze represents life, and so. I said, oh, okay, so now you understand. And I could see him. This is probably the first time I had this type of discussion with him about a book, for one of my books for sure, and I could yeah. see him getting it. Um, and so to me, that's 11, 12, 13, when they can start to really understand it, then they can make meaning of it on their own to say, yep. you know, look, sports isn't really just about, you know, going after the win or going after the getting better, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to go after you know, he really is trying to make me be a better person. And so I think that's probably the age. Yep, yep, that's great. Um, without without going too much into my own coaching, I had the privilege of coaching my son's U8 team, his uh, soccer team this fall. And I feel like I certainly was not explicitly talking to the players about sort of the exceptional, better, successful people side, but the way that we would thank the official after every single game or if we beat a team being classy and not, you know, making them feel bad in the handshake line, you know, all things that I hope are reinforcing that even if they're not yet 11 and sort of able to get that higher order thinking. So let me let me not uh, I'm sure our audience is wondering now what are elements 2, 3 and 4. So we we did presence um will you tell us a little bit about environment? Yeah, so um when we talk about, you know, this this notion of the art of coaching, which again I, I love that from Phil Jackson. Um I do think these hit those and I think they really go beyond what those Xs and Os are, um Xs and Os are 
Um, and as you start to develop presence, you know, and you do that over time, I think what you're doing then is, is you're, you're looking to set up what I think is the most critical element um, is this environment. Um, you have to have an environment um, that is rich in opportunities to, um, to fail and succeed and, and be pushed um, in a manner that is um, appropriate, right? And so as you start to think about, you know, what a great environment is, uh, it, it really is then this, 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 this environment to provide them an opportunity to see what success is and then go after that. And, and, it, it, ha, and, and it has very, to little, very little to do with um, the sport itself, although you're using sport as, as the driver to, for instance, improve their motivation and confidence or, 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 or have them drive to improve, which, which could be in any, in any domain. Um, and I've seen some, some wonderful uh, examples of that in, in the classroom, of course, but also on the yep. field. Um, and, and I think that that environment is really a lot about what, what some of these, these, um, these authors who are talking about, the development of, of great athletes or, or individuals or um, in the talent code or outliers or, or the, yep. the sports gene um, are are talking about this this environment that's rich in opportunities. Yeah, great. And then um, you talk and, about and I, management. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think as you as you go on and you create this environment and these opportunities and um, you know that that are intense and and ignite the passion of of, a, of an athlete, um, they have to be managed. I mean, one of the biggest things that I see I see young coaches. Um, at the professional level and youth and college levels as well, is the management of situations and people. And, you know, with, with youth athletes, um, and I still coach now, it's not just about managing the child, but it's about managing the parent, you know, and that's managing right. on-field mm-hmm. situations like, you know, what do you do, what do, you do with a, a child that's late? Well, the child yep. doesn't drive. Um, and so for me, you know, <laughs> you should welcome the child into your session. Now, if it's if it's chronic, you know, then you talk to the parents and go, well, how can we? Well, I work till five o'clock and practice starts at five ten, or you know, or five thirty. Right. Well, okay, how can we maybe assist in this process? And that, that's a real life situation, um, but that's a management yeah. situation, right? And and managing the kids at the beginning of your session, um, you know, when they yeah. first come there, are they excited to be there? Well, that's a management yeah. issue. You know, that's a this is this yeah. is. Um, a, a pedagogical technique, and are you able to manage the first five minutes of your practice session? Um, yep. Other stuff is like you know, you get to the higher level. You talk about high school and 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 college. It's what do you, how do you manage um, playing time? You know, how do you manage yep. you know athletes that are you know in college that are that are living on their own? Um, and and so they're they're and I, I cite a lot of of specific examples in the book, but. But it truly is a management issue, and if you look at baseball at the t- at the highest level, they are managers, right? If you look at, right. at at soccer at the highest level in the world, they're managers because they're managing situations, mm-hmm. and, and quite honestly, they're managing people. Um, which which again, whether you're talking about managing a lineup or you're managing folks on the field or off the field, it's management. Yeah, um, we. Um- you, you hooked me with this idea of the first five minutes of practice and how you manage that. Do you have some specific tips? You know, a lot of our listeners are parents who are coaching their kids' youth teams, and uh, I'm sure that they would love any specific tips for sort of managing the first five minutes of practice. Oh, for sure. 
So we've <clears throat> got eight-year-olds. Uh, I coach my, my twins' eight-year-old soccer team. Um, yeah. So right when they get there, oh, hi, guys, how are you? And you greet them, you know, and it's not just how are you. Yep. It's like, hey, Johnny, how are you? Everything good today? Oh, how's, your, how's your homework going well? All right, awesome. How's school? Oh, great. Good, good. Really good to see you. Are you excited to be here? That personal connection is why those kids want to yep. be in there in the first place, right? So yep. greet them by yep. name. You get them in there. And, and right when they get there, let them get moving around. I mean, the last thing that yeah. they want to do is listen to you talk. I mean, you, you were excited yeah. to see them. You want to talk to them. They don't care, right? They want to move around. I think this is, I think this is 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds as well. It's like get a yeah. ball, get yourself moving around, right? You, you yeah. have a you know, basketball, dribble it. And so I think it's, it's the personal greeting. I think allowing them the freedom and flexibility to, to move around. Um, and I also think setting the stage for the day. I, this is what we're going to be doing today, you know, um, and this is yeah. what we're what we're going to try to get out of the session today. I, I think cluing kids in on the goals of the session, um, yeah. while different for an eight-year-old and a seventeen-year-old, still provides them yeah. an opportunity to be part of the solution, right? And so you're yeah. you're saying to them, "This is where I'd like you to get to." And then when you can get there at the end or not, you've discussed, um, you know, you've discussed it at the beginning. And so I think. You know, those are kind of three things that I I definitely do every training session. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's awesome. So I got, yeah, greeting them by name and, you know, showing your enthusiasm that they're there, asking them about their school day and other parts of their lives so you don't just care about them as a soccer player but other parts of their lives, letting them get a ball, letting them start to move around, and then sort of setting the stage for what they can expect for practice. Um, really awesome tips. So so let me let you get to communication, your fourth element. Yeah. Uh, I mean, communication has been written about, you know, on so many other occasions and quite honestly probably um, in more detail than I. But to me, it, it's critical. You know, if, if, you, can't, if you can't communicate, um, which is, you know, one half talking, one half listening, or probably more listening than talking, um, then you, you know, you're really not going to be able to manage effectively or to create an environment of excellence um, or to build your presence. And so I talk a lot about communication in there. I think nonverbal gestures are, mm-hmm. are an element that isn't talked about enough. Um, yeah. This idea of, you know, the, a picture is worth a thousand words <clears throat> to me, so are your nonverbal gestures, the way in which you manage a kid's mistake, um, you know, and, and acknowledge, you know, his mistake as an opportunity as opposed to, you know, a, a catastrophe. And, you know, working in in sports at a, at a high level, you know, you've got a, a competing type of team and, and you're going, you know, there's nothing wrong with winning, but of course, is that the only goal, you know? Um, yep. And so you have to balance the way in which you react to a mistake that quite honestly may cost you a game. But, What's the yep. goal? You know, are you trying to win that game, or are you trying to build that person over time? And so, right. I think nonverbal gestures are are critical. Um, but I, I talk about verbal communication and and um, listening. Um, you know, obviously that's a that's a it's a critical skill, and I don't think I don't think we do it enough um, when we when kids are trying to say something to you, they don't always know how. And sometimes then you have to really listen in order to probe a little bit further, especially with 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds that um, there's a lot of 
uh, new um, things going on in the body, and they may not be able to, you know, figure out how to think about what they're feeling or thinking. And I think sometimes then you really have to listen to their nonverbal gestures, right, and and to the things that they're yeah. maybe doing and not saying. And so I think there's yeah. a lot of that, that that's critical in terms of what makes a great coach. And and quite honestly, if you put if then you think about, and I, me personally, I think about me as an 18-year-old, you, you, how can you know these things, right? How can you get right. presence, environment, and management to communication? And quite honestly, you can't. Um, and it takes a long time to get those. And quite honestly, then you have to put yourself around great people um, and great yeah. teachers um, in order to get these types of things. Yeah. Lee, when you're talking about the importance of listening. I know that was one of my challenges this fall is that I did try to design times to get feedback from the athletes. And, you know, sometimes eight-year-old boys, they have an idea, but the amount of time it takes them to, like, articulate it and get it out, I just felt myself as a coach, like, really having to sort of bite my tongue and be patient and keep that eye contact and stay with them where I'm thinking about the next thing I want to do and I'm high energy <laughs> and I'm like, but it's such a priority to me to like hear them out, you know, and I think no they really appreciated that, but it's it's not always easy. Um, well, thank I, I you. I mean, just, I think this just is, on that, just yeah. on that note too, really, yeah. I think especially with young ones and anyone quite honestly is you can tell, you can really get at what somebody wants to say to you when there mm-hmm. is very little time for them to think or say it, which mm-hmm. is usually when they've made a mistake or something has happened mm-hmm. where they weren't prepared to handle the situation. At, at those yeah. particular moments, I think it's a really key time to you need to, as the coach, stop and breathe. You know, among the yep. you know amongst the chaos, you have to go. Yep. What's really going on here? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I had that moment when some of my goalkeepers are getting really frustrated because they didn't feel like their teammates were being nice to them after they would get scored on. And I had a lot of hurt feelings. And, uh, you know, trying to talk about those sorts of things with eight-year-old boys was a fun coaching opportunity for me this fall. Um, so, So your four elements, you talk about presence, environment, management, and communication, and then how with experience all those things, you know, come into um, focus better, and then when you have the right content, those are the elements of, of a great coach. Um, a lot of the people who are listening are coaching their own kids, which brings with it a whole bunch of other challenges and, I would say, wonderful opportunities. And, you know, you've got three boys. They're all playing sports. I was hoping we could spend just a little bit of time um, with you maybe giving us some pearls of wisdom around how parents who are coaching their own kids can do that the most effectively. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely give you my experiences. <laughs> you know, I, I think I've done, you know, time will tell, but I, I try to do well with them as, again, as people. You know, I think yeah. one of the things when you coach your own kids is if you write a book about coaching people and you, and you write a book about parenting kids in, in sports, you really have to work hard at, at following your own advice, which is good pressure to have. <laughs> Yeah, sort of like if you work for Positive Coaching Alliance and you're coaching. That's a right. Team. Yes, yes, no question about <laughs> it. I, I, I think yeah. I think the beauty of um, it for me personally is um, I'm not perfect, and yeah, and I make a lot of mistakes. And and when you're in a, you know, I don't want to say um, high level, but when you're in, you know, a competitive little, you know, group, you know, which is the soccer, you know, they play in the Galaxy's um, South Bay, and, and it's a competitive little program, and 
And great, yep. that's a lot of opportunities for you to check yourself um, and the parents yep. around you to make sure that you're working hard in this type of situation at the long-term goals. And so it's a, it's a wonderful place yes. to be because I get to be my own um, my own uh, my own research study. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, I think for me, uh, a, a big thing, and I know that, that it's a hot topic, is this idea of specialization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I'm, and, you know, cause, cause I've, I've, I've obviously been on, on positive coaching alliance, um, looking at, at a lot of the articles. What, what yep. are some of the things that people ask most about specialization and and the goods and the and, and the bads and, and what are some of the things that people bring up as they search your site or speak to you or these types of things? Yeah, you know, Lee, it's it's interesting you asked me that question because I think that when we go out and we give you know live workshops to parents and coaches, I would say the number one most frequently asked question that I get after a workshop when I'm approached by a parent is, "What is the right time for my child to specialize?" And when they say that, they really mean to quit all other sports and just focus on one sport year-round. <clears throat> and, you know, I think they want – it's a really hard question. They want sort of like one, um, you know, great answer that's the silver bullet. Um, and, you know, I'm not – obviously I'm not able to give that to them. Um, but I think that there's a real pressure that parents feel from people um, in our current youth sports environment where so many people are, you know, they're making their livelihood off of coaching kids and, you know, being a, um, you know, an expert in tennis and that's their year round job and they're looking for kids to coach. And I think a lot of parents are hearing if your child specializes now, you know, he's eight, if he specializes right now in baseball, we can get him a college scholarship. And these parents feel like maybe they're doing their kids a disservice if they don't listen to that expert and don't give their kid the shot. Um, so it always leads to a fascinating discussion, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, um, about how to respond, you know, when a parent says, when is the right time for my child to specialize? Uh, is that something you've had, you've had to deal with, especially, I guess, in the sort of high-level academy environment of soccer? Um, I have to believe that comes up. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question, and, of course, I've, I have fielded it before, um, yep. Not not sure I've thought about it in quite some time, but my my initial reaction is, um, you know, if the ch- if if the child doesn't want to do it um, mm-hmm. year round, I can't even think that there would be a discussion at all. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, just because a, just because a tennis pro comes to me and go, your your kid's got something. Um, he's eight. Yep. You know what I mean? He's he's ten. <laughs> Uh, he yep. needs to do this. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, but he doesn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> right. So I think that's a really uh, that's an interesting question. So the, I think the first one is: d- Does your child want to do something where he or she is going to put X amount of hours into you know a lot of hours into something per week? Um, yeah. I, and I I also because I I know the research in, in early specialization right this this idea of potential burnout. Uh, you know, right. it could lead to overuse injuries, um, potential, mm. uh, you know, no physical, no physical activity when they're older. This type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that may come from 
from pushing a kid into something that he or she doesn't want to do. Um, yeah. Now, having said that, let's talk about because I have I have an 11 year old that just wants to play soccer. Um, yep. I have twin boys that then play soccer and basketball and other stuff. And so, for me, the interesting question, at least for for me personally, and maybe for others out there, is what do you do when you have a kid that just wants to? And I'll use the word, although I don't like it. I'll specialize. He just wants to play soccer. Yeah. I mean, is that a, is that a question you get ever? It is, yeah, and I, I really like where you're going with it because one of the things I'm really hearing is it's child-driven and it's a discussion, you know, that a parent is having with their child and it's not just the parent in a vacuum um, seeing the college scholarship dollar signs saying, all right, sure. we're going to do this. Um, yeah. And if the, if it's really the child coming forward saying, like, I just can't get enough of soccer, I want to try out for the club team, I'm up for, you know, multiple practices a week and lots of travel, and this is what I want to do, and it just fuels their passion, um, you know, I, I really feel so much more comfortable with that. And, you know, I think some of this is sports-specific as well, where, you know, if you've got a young kid who just can't get enough gymnastics or ice skating, um, and she or he like really is like their goal is, is to go as far as they can. Like, yeah, probably specialization, um, is going to be what they're going to do, but it really needs to be the child doing that and, and sort of taking that on, not the parent. Um, so I, think I so. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so from, from my experiences and I'm going to, I'm going to tackle your first question and then I'll, I'll head into this one. Um, because okay. I'm, I'm still thinking about that one as well. That, that first one of, you know, when is it a good time to specialize? To, to me, then, you've got 11 to 12 or 13-year-old, and, and somebody is saying this to you. It definitely is that discussion with, with, the, you know, with the child. Is this what they want to do? And, and at some point, this may be something that they go, okay, I really want to do this, okay? Right, and right. And similar with the 8-year-old, although to me it's a different story because it is, the child may go, well, Daddy, I see that you want me to do this almost. And, oh wow! Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's say let's say that then the the kid whether and this gets into the second piece here. Let's say they're they're doing one sport. Okay. And let's say my 11 year old again says to me, Daddy, I want to do one sport. And this is when he was very young, right? And I'm like, I want you to do basketball. Which I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay. So let's say okay. that that specialization is there. Okay. So we can go. I hear a lot of people going, it's not good. It's not good. Okay. Well, let's just say it is. Right. And yes, we should look to change the, you know, change the paradigm and say they should do multiple things. Um, but at the same time, let's just say that they're not. To me, then, how can we manage it, right? right. How can I say because I because I do know the potential burnout possibility for my 11 year old. I do know, and and multiple kids out there at eight, 15, whatever it is. I also know the potential for overuse injuries, right? And so right. to me, it's like, look, how do you manage these types of things? So on the burnout side. This is my wheelhouse. Um, I'm a sports psychologist. I work with athletes. Um, right. For me, and I talk to my son all the time, and he's been in, you know, he's had the good fortune of being in pro locker rooms, you know, throughout his life and, and, and high school places and, and college locker rooms and this type of stuff. He, I say to him, you're a person first. You're not an athlete first, right? And yeah. when we talk yeah. about his life and, Daddy, I want to play here. I want to play there. Oh, okay. Well, I, are you going to go to school? How are you going to fit school in? And, and and what about? Do you want to travel? Do you want to? Because I, this is important. And so I talk to him as if he has a lot of things going on in his life, not just a right. singular focus. And right. you know the the research and the theories that back up in terms of the social cognitive look at burnout 
you know, would say this is a really important thing because we don't want them to just identify as an athlete. You know, right. you you are a person that plays sports. Um, in this particular yep. case, you're a person that plays soccer. And I so right. I point to all of the great professional athletes that are also doing wonderful work in the community or have degrees. Um, yes. and, and I'm very fortunate to have, you know, good examples of those. And, and they're, you know, again, in, in the positive coaching lines, you've got a ton of folks that have that yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, so, so again, managing the burnout is a discussion. Managing the overuse piece, I think, is critical. And this is where I think, you know, those beating the drum of no specialization are really talking about. It's like, look, you can't drive a kid 12 months out of the year. Um, that right. is crazy right. talk. Using the same muscles, the same, um, right. you know, the same turn, the same twists, because what's going to happen here is, and, and this is where the research is clear, you're going to have a problem. So to right. me, it's like, okay, so they want to specialize. Um, well, then you'd better be taking some breaks. Um, you'd better be taking yep. a month yep. or two off. And when you do those breaks, you need to be doing other things. You know what I mean? Because they have, they're yeah. active. And so for, for me and for a lot of the kids that I work with in the, in the club and, and at that level, it's like, look, you need to go throw a Frisbee. You need to go swimming. You need to go yeah. biking. Yeah. You need to go. And we, we almost say to them, don't do any soccer. Now, if they want to do pickup wow. stuff, go ahead. You know what I mean? And right, right, right. The, the other thing is they have a, they have a lunchtime, you know, the little ones. They have a lunchtime. Well, yeah. well, a lot of them go play other stuff as well. Go play basketball. Go play handball. And we and so I, it's a lot right. of education that goes along with being a quote-unquote, again, specialist. I don't even know what that means at 8 or 12. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, look, you, you have to develop your whole body. And so that's a really good thing as well because then, you know, he has to develop a different running uh, style or, you know, go side to side or forward or whatever it is, the sport that he is currently and isn't giving him or her. Yeah. And so I think, again, yeah, I hear, I hear this idea of specialization, and to me it's absolutely child-driven, but sometimes you have yeah. to save them from themselves. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's well, an important piece. Yeah. You were, you were talking a little bit about the PCA National Advisory Board, and we're fortunate enough to have Summer Sanders, you know, the Olympic swimmer, um, on our national advisory board, and she talks about how there was a time where her coaches were really pushing her very hard, and her parents got the sense that she was starting to burn out, and her parents actually stepped up and told the coaches, like, Summer needs to take some time off. And the coaches were adamant that, like, no, this is such an important time. Like, we can't possibly not have her in the pool. And her parents just said, we're her parents. We know what she needs. And they took her away from the sport for, like, a couple weeks. And I'm curious um, if you put your parent hat on um, and, you know, coaches like to have their best players all the time and want to feel like they're always improving. And if you have a coach that's not, you know, not as enlightened as what you're describing here and is like, no, we're not going to take a break, um, what can you do as a parent to advocate for your child for, you know, to make sure that these sort of overuse things and the burnout um, don't actually uh, manifest? (laughs) It depends on what the goal is. I mean, what? what I mean, if, if you're the parent of the child, what are we doing here? I mean, yeah, you. Yeah. To me, it's like you pull them out. I mean, if if you see that it's 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 killing them, I mean, they're they're going to get a college scholarship and be there for one year, and then they're going to come home because they hate it. Um, yep. I, I I think look there, and this is the thing too. I think too many people point to the the special cases, like well that kid did it. Yeah. Okay, but that kid is. A one in a one in a million, and your kid may or may not be that kid. And are you willing to, to 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 go up against that potential risk? And so, yeah. you know, t- 
to me, if 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 the coach can make a valid a, a valid argument or point based on what's appropriate developmentally for a child, then you should listen to him or her. Playing year round isn't a valid developmental point. I mean, at that right. do you like to work twelve months out of the year or do you like vacation days? I mean, um, <laughs> and some people go, "Yeah, I work all the time." Yeah, how's your family life? Um, yeah, and, and I think that's yeah. a really, you know, you got to look at these at the at these folks as developing, you know, um, um, folks, you know, developing children. And so I think, yeah. what would I say to the parents? I would say, you know, ask them to give you a valid argument. Um, and obviously, you got to phrase it appropriately. But the other part is like, what are you willing to risk as a parent too? Because the, the coach may go, well, you're off the team. And if that's the case, you go, fine. It's probably not the best place for my son or daughter anyway. Now. Yeah. I'm giving advice in a vacuum, right? Because maybe they're going to lose their scholarship or all these types of things. So it's it's not fair right, for me right. not to hear the the actual case. But right. to me, if you're looking out for the best interests of your child and they're asking them to play year round, it's not okay. Yep, yep. Well, Lee, um, I have one more question that I want to get in before we end, and I think um, you and I should definitely do this again. Uh, when I'm another common uh, question I get or frustration is when I'm out at high schools and I'm talking to high school coaches or high school athletic directors, and they're saying like we have the most fantastic soccer player here at our school, but he's not playing for our school. He's going to play for the local MLS academy, and we're so upset that he's not playing on our high school team that he's going to play for the academy. And I'm curious if you can just talk a little bit about that situation and is that something you've heard about and sort of how can I respond when I'm getting those comments um, from coaches and athletic directors about, and I would love to share with you how I respond, but also hear your response um, of how you'd handle that sort of that topic. Um, I see what you did there. Um, So obviously you know my positions (laughs) and who I work for, Um, but I – I like that question because I think it gets at the heart of what I said earlier. What does the player want to do? Yep. Um, you know, so so when a coach says to me, it's my best player, he's not your player. <laughs> um, mm. You know, he's he's a child that goes to your to goes to the school that you happen to be a coach at. Um, right. And, you know, what are that kid's goals? And right. if it's 16, 17, 18, he's being asked to play for an MLS club in the academy yep. system, and this gets him closer to his goal, then we really yep. should be looking to the child. And I'm sorry if that means you're going to lose games as a high school coach, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think that uh, – I hope that didn't come out callous, but I, I see the value of high school sports. I think, it's, I think it's great to have that place for them to excel as a student athlete in their school. But I also yeah. see the value of being in an MLS academy if that player wants to play at that high a level. And so for me, it's what does the player want? I would treat him the same as I would, um, you know, an 11 or 12 year old. Now, if they didn't yeah. know and they had questions, you know, then that's something a, a student athlete has to, you know, has to do their due diligence and talk to their parents and talk to their academy coach and talk to their high school coach and go okay, where do I see myself in five years and which one's going to move me closer to that, you know, to that destination? And maybe the high school one is the place for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe it comes down to the place. Yeah, I'm I curious, think, what, how do you respond? I, 
Well, I mean, one one question I ask is, you know, if you have players that are going off to play at the academy, it opens up more space on your high school team for some other kid that wouldn't have made the team. And it's actually more playing opportunities for more people. And um, I think for most athletes, they want to be playing on a team and at a level that challenges them. And I guess, you know, it gets back to your point about it being about the person, not just the athlete. And, you know, I challenge those high school coaches a little bit about, like, you know, what's this really about? And, of course, it's really hard to lose your best player. Um, But at the same time, look, like, let's be proud of this person and feel like our school is being represented at the academy and get behind this kid um, rather than making him feel like an outcast or or ostracize him for, you know, for achieving that level and wanting to, to sort of pursue that dream. So um, yeah, I don't think people I, are always, like your always answer, happy with my response. Your answer better than mine. I like your answer. <laughs> I don't know. We're, I think we're saying the same thing. Um, <laughs> well, Lee, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And sure. I think all of our PCA listeners are really going to learn a lot. And I'd encourage all of them to, you know, go find your books and also to visit your website, um, drleehancock.com. And then finally, great Twitter feed, um, at Dr. Lee Hancock, um, H-A-N-C-O-C-K. And um, really appreciate having you as part of the PCA movement and look forward to our next chat. Great. Thanks for having me and uh, always enjoyable. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.